Okay, Tamarin. Dos. It's okay. <laughs> we're we're uh, doing part three of my Mujeres Lead series. This is Brenda Gonzalez. Um, because again, it's still March, Women's History Month, and we thought it'd be really fun to interview some amazing mujeres that I know, that I'm lucky to know, because I think you all should know them too. So I'm very excited because I have two amazing mujeres. So <laughs> first I have uh, Christy Hernandez and her lovely mother, Rita. So I'm so excited. Rita, tell me your last name again. And then this same. Uh, why did I even doubt that? Okay, so here we go. We're going to interview. Um, and the reason why I'm excited to have Christy is because um, she's back in LA, but she spent the last two years in Washington, D.C. And I've known her for a few years now. And I saw her think about going to D.C. And I saw that glimmer in her eye and she worked hard at it and she made it happen. We were there for all her going away parties and then all of her visits when she came back. And I got to visit her several times while in D.C. And now she's back permanently. And uh, we kept saying from from um, East Los to the East Coast. So she's from East L.A. And uh, she's going to tell us a little bit more about her journey to to the White House. So tell me, what did it mean to you the last two years to be an Obama appointee? Oh, I have to say it was, uh, well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me and our special guest, my mom. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely a, a nice little touch there. But for me, it meant so much. It was an incredible journey. It was one for me of my most ambitious goals and on my bucket list. And to have you know, the opportunity to check that off was just amazing. And I know that for me, it wasn't only my victory, if you will, but it was out of my family, my community, my friends, and I just stand on the shoulders of giants. And to to be out there in such a during such a critical time, and having met so many Latinos that are also doing great things, I mean, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. With uh, you know, having done things I I could only dream of, and in some cases, things I never even imagined. So it was an incredible, and I will definitely take that experience uh, with me and and to heart and. I did leave a piece of, of my heart in D.C. And so I'm now back and I'm ready to hit the ground running again. Awesome. And for you, mom, Rita, what did it mean to you to see your daughter leave for two years? Well, it was very hard, you know, mo mostly because she was my baby, my last child that I had. And um, I could see that she wanted to fly off out of the nest. I could feel it. I could sense it. And I could see it in, in her eyes. And of course, it hurt me to see her go. And I didn't want her to see that because I didn't want to hold her back. I wanted her to fly as high as she could fly, reach for the stars. And she's capable of doing it. And she, she can do amazing things. So it was very, very hard for me. I cried a lot. And, and you know, I went to the doctor last week and, and he said, he says, Rita, I want you to tell me what exactly happened, you know, during the time that she left, October of 2014. Mm -hmm. I said, 2014? I said, I can't imagine what I did. I said, oh, I remember my daughter left. She goes, look at this graphic way, way up high where you were so sick, and now look at it, it's all, and <laughs> it's all even, you know. So it, it was very, very, very hard. I cried every night. Of course, I never let her know. But I was very, very happy that she was coming back. And I'm very, very glad that she's back. And thank you so much for having me in your program. I really am very, very happy to have you here. 
Oh, thank you so much. It's so sweet. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I mean, when we say that she just got back, like literally she just got back. She just drove cross country and made it all the way back on Sunday and agreed to be on the show. And the times that I've got, got to visit Christy, I've heard some of these stories. So let's tell the, the listeners, what was your, your first um, job in D.C.? And it was super cool and definitely a, a space that is not... Um, one that's we're full of women and much less full of women from the from East LA. So tell me what the experience was. Absolutely. So I have a background in education, healthcare, government relations at large. Um, and one of my interests was to continue healthcare, but for whatever reason, um, I was uh, the administration reached out for a job with the Department of Defense, and so I was selected as an Obama um, political appointee. And I was asked to interview with the Department of Defense. So I would be placed at the Department of Defense and um, in their Office of Legislative Affairs. And um, I'd be based out of the Pentagon. So my job essentially was to advise, prepare, and uh, make recommendations to senior leadership at the Department of Defense, specifically out of the Office of the Secretary of Defense, as it related to, to policies at large within personnel readiness. So just think like... HR for military, specifically some of the legislative portfolios that I was in charge of uh, dealt with um, some issues that were not always like top secret, if you will, but were more contentious, like uh, sexual assault prevention, suicide prevention, diversity management and equal opportunity, uh, the education for their dependents, uh, the transition to veterans program and and uh, things of that nature. And and one of the, you know, the most challenging things about it is because people understood these issues and they were tangible. You had so many opinions. You had members of Congress and our congressional oversight committees that were always just, you know, down our throat about these issues and what we were doing. So that was my first job. And I and I worked on and advised. And I was the subject matter expert for these different portfolios that I just named, among a few others. Um, but these are the ones that people know are more familiar with. And, and that was a very steep learning curve for me. I don't have a background in military, as I mentioned. I have a background in education, in healthcare, in nonprofits, advocacy, and legislative affairs. So that common thread was government relations. And so um, those first, again, first six months, in the toughest, uh, one of the toughest learning curves. But what I learned is if um, you don't challenge yourself, then you don't grow professionally and personally. And so after being there for um, two years, I went on to become the deputy director of congressional relations for Peace Corps headquarters uh, in Washington, D.C., and that was a great experience as well. And I, you know, essentially did the same. I advised and prepared, um, whether it be for meetings, hearings, briefings, our director and staff, if, if and when they went up to the Hill. So I dealt and, I, again, facilitated and communicated with uh, members of Congress, their staff, the professional staff on these congressional oversight committees, and uh, any correspondence. And I had to make sure that, you know, I essentially was a gatekeeper in both both positions. If the Congress came to us, then I had to make sure to meet them and say, hey, how can I help you? Go back to the department, get the right people, professionals, um, and the directors of whatever program made most sense to to take them and, and move forward. That's so awesome. So what kind of clearance did you have working at the Department of Defense? Oh, yeah, I had um, a TS clearance, so just 
top top notch. notch. Yes. I love it. Okay, and back to mom. I know that Christy calls you every day or very often. And she got to do really cool things. Like she, she just told us all like the important stuff that she got to do. But she also was in D.C. at a great time uh, under the, the really, really well-loved president, a historic president. I'm sure there's a lot of fun, cool things that Christy got to do. What, what were some of the highlights that you heard back from? Well, n- number one was that, you know, I kept asking myself, my, my, what is my baby doing in Washington, D.C.? But I... I never dreamed of going across the United States to go see the White House and or even the Pentagon. And um, when I went to go visit her, she took me to all these fabulous places that I, I literally would go into the restroom and cry because it was so awesome and so exciting that I couldn't believe I was there. And she took me to all these beautiful places and she would ask asked me, Mom, do you like it? How do you, how, are you enjoying it? And I kept thinking, yes, I do. You know, I, I never knew how exciting and how fabulous and fantastic her world was, but I know that she had a real challenging job, That's and I'm exactly. very proud of her. And she would text me, and she would send me pictures, and and I felt like, wow, you know, I, I what have I created? <laughs> An eagle that wanted to fly as high as she could. One of the the highlights that I remember was um, I finally was able to attend the Cinco de Mayo event at the White House. (laughs) And that image will be like etched in my mind forever because I remember walking into the East, um, uh, the green room and, and it was Mana. Mana was on stage at the White House. House, And I was thinking, oh, my God, is this really happening? So you have White House, and then President Obama came out, President Biden, and then there was tacos and margaritas. And I was like, oh, my gosh, is this really happening? Like, I have to take a picture. So I remember, like, sending pictures to, like, my mom, my sisters. Um, I'm the youngest of three. And so I was just like, oh, my gosh, guess who's here? Like, this is totally historic under the same roof. You have Mana and the president and whatnot. But... Um, and, and so I just always made it a point to really involve my family and friends, whether it was like through Facebook, Instagram, phone calls, text, because I mean, I was out there for the most part alone in the sense where like my family, like immediate family wasn't there. And some of like my close friends from out here weren't. And that was the only way I felt like I could really share my experience. And I, and, and now that I think about it, cause there was a comment made more recently, you know, and it wasn't to show off. Like for me, it was like, look what you all could do, what I'm experiencing, what I would love for you to be here for, but you, you all aren't here, so this is how I'm going to share it with you. And, and and so for me, the last two and a half years was really about um, sharing those experiences and um, making them tangible and letting others know that you should definitely follow your dreams and you just don't know what's at the end of the road and, and what other perks uh, along the way w- will come up. But I mean, there were a number of times I had the opportunity to go to the White House. I was, um, I got to see Marine One. So the helicopter that lands on mm-hmm. on the um, South Lawn. And, you know, again, I never thought I'd even work at the Pentagon. I remember my first week, it was like first day I was going to get sworn in. And like, I'm in my suit and I have my portfolio. I have my tacones and you hear the tacones just <laughs> clack clacking down the hallway. And in the distance, I see two people like in their military uniform. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, okay, where's this room? Like I'm looking for it and looking around. And I look at this wall to my left and I, I take a closer look. And then across the wall, it says office of the secretary of defense. And I was like, oh my gosh. How did this little girl from East L.A., unincorporated East L.A., 
end up and walk in the halls of the Pentagon. Like I had to like pinch myself. There were so many times I had to pinch myself. And then along each side of the walls, you see portraits of the former secretaries of defense, but they, they call sec defs. And it was just one of those moments where like it hit me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is really happening. That is so cool. Well, I love that. I think I think you gave people a lot of inspiration that that you can do it too. Sounds like great experience in the way you involved your family. Certainly, uh, me as a friend, I felt like I was there and all the amazing, cool pictures. Like you have way more than one Obama picture, so it's very awesome. So, in um, I, at this point, we're going to wrap up the, our conversation. And as I shared, we asked the same three questions of all our guests. So maybe I'll start with you, Rita. The first question is, um, what is your go-to comfort snack? As you were missing Christy, what were some of the things you snacked on? We, we talk about that because Latinos, we have the best snacks. <laughs> Tamales, mm-hmm. pozole, and burritos de frijoles con queso y, y chile picoso. Oh my God, so good. And a little story for our listeners. The last time I went to visit Christy, uh, as she was making her journey back to the to Islos, she said, hey, you're going back. Can you take this, this big gigantic piece of luggage for me? And I said, yes, I, I will. I will do that. And I got to hang out with Rita, and she made me some of that food that she mentioned. So it was amazing. <laughs> yes, it was so good. It was so good. Okay, the next question is, if you had a chancla, to throw at a person, place, thing, thought, who gets your chancla? I think I would throw my chancla to those people who are always like an anchor that bring you down and do not let you fly. I am very happy for Christy that she did get to fly and she shared her dreams and her challenges with us. I'm very, very proud of her. I wish that I could share share this with all the young ladies that I know of. Yes, very cool. And then the last question, if there was a telenovela, it could be for you or maybe it's for Christy, what would the name of this telenovela be? (laughs) Déjalos volar. They'll come back to you. I love it. I love it. I love it. Very cool. So Christy, same questions to you. What was your go-to comfort snack as you were missing home in D.C.? Oh, my gosh. My friends in D.C. are going to laugh at this. I had a favorite barbecue spot, uh-huh. and so I would go there called Hill Country, um, and they had, like, these brisket tacos, and I'm like, no, brisket tacos ni que nada, I don't know, but they were, like, so good, and I'd be, that was, like, my comfort food, um, but if I were here, I would say definitely, like, tacos, because there are n- tacos like no other here in Los Angeles, and I don't know why, tacos de carne asada, my dad makes some, like, great carnitas, um, and Thai iced tea with boba. I don't know. It's so random, but I I get so addicted to it. I'm just like, (laughs) I want one. And it's like, I need my hit, you know? Um, the barbecue place is that by chance the place that you took me to yes. with the with the, we have to tell our listeners this because it's hilarious. There was this Russian bartender who spoke perfect Spanish. Serbian. Serbian. She was Serbian. Mm-hmm. She per- spoke perfect Spanish yes. because she watched only telenovelas back home in Serbia. <laughs> Her grandma would watch uh, telenovelas, um, and she would just have the TV on because that's all that apparently the, they could get on their channel. And she speaks it so well, and she would call me out on the telenovelas because she's like, what do you mean to know such and such telenovela? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and she had all the names. Yeah, it was, yeah, but DC was definitely a great experience, and for all the young ladies out there and just people in general, I mean, follow your dreams and, and you know, and don't let anyone 
like my mom said, sort of bring you down. Um, we didn't really get into it, but there were a number of situations and stories that I can share about the Pentagon and, and um, the, the people. You give us one example. What's one thing you're willing to share? Because I know I've heard some examples yeah. you've given me before. Um, uh, oh my gosh, there are so many, but I know I have to make this, keep it short. I mean, I've been, I was mistaken for like a CVS worker. Um, one gentleman in, in, in interaction of a larger group and trying to familiarize ourselves with who we were. Um, a colleague of mine said, oh, you know, we'll see you at the Pentagon has a food court. And he turns to me and he asked me if I worked at Burger King. I remember uh, that story. I, I was in a full suit. Um, I, you know, I wear uh, business attire always. And, and I look at him and thinking like, no, like, why would you think that? I always thought I was going to be the person when I go in there that when something or someone says something, I was going to stand up for the community, for myself. But I have to say there were those moments where you like, take a it's a double take and you think about it and those in those three seconds though that the comment you know sort of just goes over your head and, and if you react and you become the angry latina the spicy latina mm -hmm. and so you had to learn how to like you know maneuver and just sort of find some type of way to finesse the, the response and i think i've gotten a lot better at that um and one of the other ones and i'll share quickly it's a conversation about hiring on uh, somebody from our team talking about diversity, we're talking about someone who is uh, African-American and someone Indian-American. And the conversation basically went that it, they probably were going to go with the African-American because it was the Obama administration. And, um, well, you know, Christy, it's just uh, that's who they're trying to hire, even though we thought the other person was more uh, qualified given her experience. And so I asked this colleague of mine on the same team, so I'm like, are you trying to say that, um, that I'm here to fill a quota? It's essentially what she's implying. And we're waiting for the shuttle to take us to the hill because we're about to go to a meeting. It's just her and I at that point. She has her suitcase with her. She's military, older in her early 40s, uh, white female Air Force. And she shrugs her shoulders, her head to the side and says, she just shrugs her shoulders without a response. Like, I don't know. And so at that point... I know it, who gets her chanclas. She gets her chanclas. <laughs> I feel like I have so many chanclas. I could have just been at the Pentagon and be like flying chanclas there. <laughs> but you know what? You Like my mom says, you just got to dust yourself off. You got to keep on going, shake it off. And so, and, and that's what keeps you mooching one. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I remember. And so we had a conversation on the bus and she was like, well, Christy, I don't think that, you know, we need diversity, but it's a good thing to have. And so she starts going on and I was like, whoa. I respectfully disagree. And so this whole conversation goes on. And I mean, we'll probably have to save it for another segment. But I just remember thinking, my goodness, there are people in my workplace, in my face, that no matter how hard you try, how much effort and work you put in, they will never see you as an equal. And for a lot of a, a long time, I thought I was just there to keep us, you know, to warm that seat. And I doubted myself. And I really, it was really a bad time for me. But I, I got out of that. And and I remember when I left, there was a, our general counsel, and he's an older gentleman in his like late 60s, early 70s, and he talks so southern. He has like this big voice that projects, and you know he would always run around, always run around. I would say hi to him, I, you know, always, and sometimes I didn't because he was just in a rush, and I didn't realize how much he noticed. But when I left, I sent out an email, and his response was like, "Christy, you are one of the most hardworking civilians that I've ever worked with in government." And for me, those two lines of like him, just I was like, oh my gosh! Like I, I interacted with him. I, I you know, whatever my work, uh, um, 
Your work spoke for itself. Your work, your work spoke for itself. That's awesome. So, and yeah, and then, and yeah, it was very male dominated. I was a quadruple minority, I say, because I was a young woman of color who wasn't married and, and, you know, it was predominantly the opposite. So every day I walked into the Pentagon, that's what I was up against and that I would lead meetings where it was all males and one, two, three stars or highest level of civilians, SESs. But, you know, there's those five seconds in my mind where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And then jump into it and like, you know, uh, take it by the horns. But anywho, um, that's in a nutshell. When I went to the uh, Pentagon to visit my daughter for the first time, all the military males that I met kept saying, you raised a fabulous daughter. She is fantastic. She is great. She is wonderful. And I just kept saying, thank you so much. I love it. I love it. So thank you so much, Christy. I think we, we're going to give a chunk to that lady in the, in the, in the subway. Right, and then yeah. lastly, um, what we, we, we asked you your snack. We know your, your, who gets your chunk. What would be your telenovela name? How would you, mm, let's see. My gosh. Um, I don't know why I would say Maria. No, Cristina Sarlegui de la Vega Velez, but that wouldn't be it. <laughs> um, I ha- um, I think I would go with like Valentina, Valentina yeah. Viacres. I don't know Valdez, only because it's like Valentina's Valiente Valdez me Valdez. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect mana reference. Well, thank you so much. This is one of our mini episodes that we do in between our larger episodes. So we definitely want to have you in the studio so we can have an even larger conversation of all your experiences out there. But this is great. You are part three of our our Mujeres Lead series that I'm doing, asking some of these amazing women in Women History Month, along with your mom, Rita. Great, great conversations. And anybody can do it. You can be an appointee of a president, but perhaps not this one. Just try again in a couple years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI FPEI 220099.